Welcome back to Season 2 of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series. As you know, education and awareness of issues affecting the small business community is an important part of the bank's relationship and consulting-oriented approach with its clients. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to review and rate us on all of your popular podcast platforms. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. On today's episode of Inside the Vault, I'm sitting down with Melissa Hart, who on January 5th threw her hat in the ring to be Pennsylvania's next governor. Melissa is no stranger to politics, as most of you uh, from our local uh, viewing area know. She spent uh, almost 10 years or two and a half terms in Pennsylvania State Senate and three terms in uh, the United States Congress. What were those What were those years, Melissa, that you were in? Yeah, so I won the uh, state Senate seat in 1990. So I served from 1991 until I had won the congressional seat. So I left in January of 2001, went down to Washington, served there from 2001 until 2007. Okay. And since then, um, you've been doing consulting and legal work? Right. Uh, I'm a lawyer at a small firm, okay. and uh, I work mostly for individuals and small businesses. And, um, and also, you know, I'm honored to be on the board uh, here at the bank. Again, my focus has been on... Yeah, when I lost, I lost the seat. I always was a Republican in Democrat districts, um, which you know means you have to talk to everyone. And uh, I think it really did help me to understand that every issue affects everyone, not just mm-hmm. one party or the other. And trying to move forward with policy that would be good for everyone. Um, but after my congressional uh, term ended, a lot of people stay in Washington. Um, right. I thought about that, and then I thought I really don't. I don't want to basically sell my reputation to some special interest in Washington. And so I decided to come home and Mm -hmm. uh, went back to a small law firm uh, to start practicing. And then, uh, you know, found that I really enjoy it. And it it is sort of a continuation of the kind of things that I was doing, but in a more direct way. You know, helping each different uh, individual or business to deal with whatever they're dealing with when it came to building a business or actually opening, just beginning one. Um, I've, I've done some paperwork to help people actually open businesses, entrepreneurs. But the other issue for me is that because of my service in government, I hear all the time about people's frustration, especially with state government, yeah. and that instead of state government being a partner to help them grow, it's become an adversary. And it's almost as if the state is seeking to throw blo- uh, roadblocks in the way of the individuals who want to invest and help the state's economy grow. So, so why now? Why now? Why? So this is why now. Um, okay. I think the, the pandemic helped uh, the concerns of these individuals and businesses reach a fever pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw too many decisions made by fiat on the state level, um, basically that the governor would make up his mind to do something. And ignore what I would consider regular order, which is actually passing things through the legislature, having a negotiation, presenting them, having the public have time to comment. And, and under the cover of the pandemic, uh, he closed down businesses, basically deemed certain businesses non-essential, uh, which, you know, I don't know anybody who's living is not essential. Um, so a significant amount of our clients and a lot of the people that I just know in the community 
were affected by this in a very negative way, obviously, and the bank certainly dealt with the challenges of a lot of our customers. So when I look at why getting in now, it's right. because I understand state government and how it's supposed to work. And I also understand the interplay between the state and federal government. But as a person who spent, it's 15 years now in the private sector, post-government service, um, I see that government has kind of gone off the rails. And um, I believe that I'm the person who can put it back on and to work together to identify solutions that work for people, not just continue to grow the government, continue to try to identify new revenue sources. This is not what we need to do. Right. So, you know, from obviously small business perspective, you've had a lot of direct experience uh, since leaving Congress. So, you know, what keeps Pennsylvania from from being at the top of the heap, so to, so to speak, in terms of attraction for small business? What are some of those issues that you see that you're going to try to help fix? Yeah, and it's not just the weather. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do know plenty of people who live here who actually like the weather yeah. and the four seasons. People right. say they don't want to leave that. So there is an issue here, uh, certainly with costs, uh, some of it real, aging infrastructure, for example. But a significant chunk of that should be covered by specific taxes that are put in place for that, for example, the gas tax, uh, which should 100% go to the maintenance of our infrastructure, transportation infrastructure. I have to be specific about that now because President Biden's been playing games with that word. But infrastructure means those things that are put in place for everyone. Um, And that's especially the highway, roads, bridges. And the federal government does provide a significant amount of funding for those items. And with a better advocacy, I think, and coordination among our federal representatives and the state government, I think we could do better, uh, certainly, to maintain those. So, so, so cost is one, and, and some of them are legitimate. But I do believe also that the state government has grown too, too large. I noticed from the time I left state government to the time now, there have been a number of new office buildings built in downtown Harrisburg to house more state employees. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no reason for this. Uh, our, our population isn't growing so much that we needed a number of new buildings. The efficiencies of state government are certainly uh, not optimal. Yeah. Uh, but what we've seen also are is a focus against what I would consider the more practical in favor of a lot of pipe dream kind of plans, a focus on things that maybe um, certain political organizations desire but aren't going to help grow Pennsylvania. You know, every 10 years, we do this, the census. The U.S. does the census, and then Pennsylvania has to redistrict the congressional districts. And for the last 90, we've lost a state, a, a U.S. House seat. Yeah. Um, and my understanding is that right. those districts are even in flux as we speak today that's right. keeping the normal timelines for state office um, elections right. to be held, right? Right. So at this point, um, as we're... Uh, interviewing the state Supreme Court is in charge of basically determining what the map will look like for our congressmen, uh, all the districts minus one again, and that's not decided. And so because that's not decided, the nomination petitions that were supposed to uh, begin this week are on hold. And the court didn't give us a new date. <laughs> so we're all in suspended animation right now. Well, when I talk to business owners and when I read you know, about Pennsylvania's competitive position with regard to, to business environment. Mm-hmm. The first thing everybody talks about is taxes. Yes. 
So, um, you know, what's your take on the, the taxation system on businesses or even individuals at the state level vis-a-vis the rest of the country? So the most obvious one, uh, which I have to speak about first, is the corporate net income tax in Pennsylvania is 10%. So in New Jersey, people have pointed and say, well, we're not as bad as New Jersey because their top rate is 12%, but they have a graduated tax. And if you make a million dollars, you pay the 12% in New Jersey. If you make $1, you pay the 10% in Pennsylvania. So we're off of dollar one. Yeah, all off of dollar one, and it's across the board for you know those who make a ton and those who don't, which I think when you think about it here in Pennsylvania, our goal should be to attract businesses to locate here or to keep the ones that are here. Mm-hmm. And we're not competitive with Ohio. We're not competitive with West Virginia. And, you know, us being in West, Western Pennsylvania, that's a big issue. Uh, we're not even as competitive as we used to be with New York. So that's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> and so for us, um, we need to just be a part of sort of a reform. I'm, I'm running to reform this because it's just a, it's not logical. The state should be more of a partner uh, with anybody who wants to start an enterprise here or grow an enterprise here or bring one from another state. The goal should be to grow that here because obviously when the people here are successful and the businesses are successful, we'll have an influx of population instead of an outflux, which of course brings with it more people paying the income taxes that they pay as individuals, which isn't bad for the state government and its coffers. I mean, the concern that that has always existed is, well, you know, if we cut the corporate income tax, where's the money going to come from? Well, where it comes from... An increased tax base. Right. And you have to do dynamic scoring of the budget, which basically means you pay attention to what the behaviors will be when you improve the business climate. And the behaviors will be that more people will will stay here and more people will come here. Or even expand their businesses here from elsewhere, right. uh, because because we are centrally located. I mean, Pennsylvania has a lot to offer as far as business goes. That you know we're we're a couple hours drive from a significant portion of the United States population. So it's it's important for us to take advantage of that. And one thing that I think we're not doing uh, that we were doing, uh, but the governor stopped the construction of a pipeline in the eastern part. Of Pennsylvania that would help us develop more of our own energy resources is that we need to look at what are the strengths of Pennsylvania and one of them is energy and it, and it isn't one specific kind although the gas uh, production certainly is notable right. and something that has really jump-started a lot of very large businesses coming here for example the cracker in Beaver mm-hmm. County but we need to make sure that we develop that that for a number of reasons. One, people who work in the energy industry, right? Number two, now that we've had supply chain problems because of the pandemic, a lot more people are looking at restarting a lot of the manufacturing that we've unfortunately offshored. Right. Let's onshore it in a state that has a manufacturing history. But and the it has the localized energy sources. Exactly. Yeah. And I was going to say that, that the energy would be cheaper here, and right. so those manufacturers would be encouraged to come here because their costs to do business would make sense. Instead of having, if we get rid of that 10%, say we have the CNI, the corporate income tax, that makes us very competitive. And that is, is an answer, really, to bringing, again, people back in, encouraging more business growth. You know, we have really great resources here, not just the energy. And, you know, whether it's gas, wet gas, so we have oil, we also still have coal. 
the way of burning coal has advanced. I was going to say technology on all those fronts has improved so much from a from a pollution, environmental protection, but you just don't ever seem to hear that side of the story. Well, the industry themselves talk about, they always use the term responsible development. And when you look into what has happened the, over the last 10 years, uh, maybe 12 years really, as that development has really grown, is we have seen advances. We've also seen a very heavy-handed state government. Right. So when it comes to that heavy hand versus the Corbett administration, which actually put in place a lot of the infrastructure to help those companies grow, which they did significantly, as soon as this administration came in, they really worked hard to reduce that um, with trying to create beyond the impact fee, uh, which is a tax, okay, which is a tax that most of the industry has accepted because that they do cause damage to roads and some things like that for a period of time of their initial development of wells and that sort of thing that communities are willing to accept because it's being reimbursed and they're able to gain from that development in their communities. That's important. But what the governor has tried to do is institute a severance tax as well. So it'd be on top of it that, you know, who knows where that would go, right, into the general government spending coffers to Mm -hmm. cover his uh, social engineering which nobody really believes should be a top priority. Um, As far as Pennsylvania goes, the interest should be focused on the people of Pennsylvania and what we need to prosper. And again, that energy, the development of that energy, the uh, completion of the pipeline in the eastern part of the state would also allow not just for the production of energy for our own people, but enough energy that it can actually be sold. You know, the the New England, for example, they would be a perfect customer and, again, would help those companies to do well, hire more people, do well, and, and also help the state because they're going to be paying taxes to the state anyway. So I, I think that when you, when you think about it, when they all link together, that everybody can be a winner if we do it the right way. And, again, there's significant environmental regulations in place that these companies have been complying with, and we haven't seen – uh, any significant problem. But with any industry, there are certain thing, things that need to be addressed that's as we go on. Yeah. But that's just being realistic. Um, right. So I think that's a hugely important industry to develop here. And I do believe that it will lead us to uh, more manufacturing. Well, what about our, our kind of tax structure as a whole in this state? I mean, you know, I don't think a lot of people think about is the state actually kind of mandates what happens at the local levels too. And we're still operating under a tax structure that is more focused on on real estate values or property values than it is income. And that's got disparate impacts in a lot of different ways. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. Historically, the, the state came first and, and authorized cities, municipalities, yeah. school districts, counties. And so all of their tax structures are controlled by the state. And they're, they're permissive laws that allow those entities to raise money for the services that they provide under a very limited, in a very limited manner. And that's why, unfortunately for Pennsylvania, most of the money that local governments raise, school districts raise, are from real estate taxes. And of course, and this always bothered me, when I first got out of law school, I was a real estate lawyer handling closings. And every time I, I handled a house sale, I was like, I can't believe how much these people are paying in taxes. And when then when they improve their house, then they pay even more. So there's a disincentive, right, for right. for the growth 
and the, um, you know, the beautification really of communities. And so when you when you look at that, it's like, well, okay, why is it this way? So when I was a state senator, we actually put into place some flexibility for local governments that they could use a combination of the real estate tax and the income tax. But what we found is they really didn't want to avail themselves of those uh, opportunities because the real estate tax guarantees them a certain amount of money every year. Income tax could fluctuate, right? So there really needs to be a, a more comprehensive examination of which kind of tax would be the least damaging, mm-hmm. right, as far as our statewide economy and individuals, you know, how, how we are hurt. So your ability to pay um, has nothing to do with the real estate tax, right? Your ability to pay is more related to an income tax or a consumption tax, which right. a lot of people have now been suggesting that maybe um, – our sales tax, which is 6%, but only on certain things, um, maybe should be reduced and across the board. Right. It's another example. I'm not saying I'm endorsing these things, but I, I believe all these things need to be on the table should maybe school districts be funded in a different manner, maybe not based on local real estate. What if you're in an area that, you know, where there are pe- there's a lot of wealth and people have very, very expensive real estate, and so, of course, they make more money to fund their schools and their school districts have a tendency to be more successful than a community that may have smaller homes or just just yeah. less income, right? right? So we have this really serious inequity, right. but and, and then the, the communities that don't have high real estate values end up with not only poorer districts, but also with poorer individuals because they're paying higher taxes. And that's just really inequitable. I mean, so I, the state has come in and certainly fills... The way the state funding formula works for education, not for anything else, but for education, is that those municipalities do get more money from the state. But that's in court right now, though, that that, that formula is being challenged because it maybe isn't enough assistance or it doesn't provide enough balance across the state so that each child can be educated in a quality manner. Yeah, I grew up in a steel town where, you know, uh, now it's mostly elderly people um, that are paying still fairly large uh, property tax bills in comparison to their income. So you, you just brought up an interesting point I did want to kind of jump off on a little bit, uh, education. So, you know, um, one of the largest complaints that we all hear that deal with small business right now is trying to be able to hire qualified employees. Mm-hmm. And particularly with our manufacturing base, at least in western Pennsylvania, you know, there's a big brain drain and lack of skilled labor in the trades, whether it be, you know, machinists, carpenters, plumbers, who in today's world can make a very nice, comfortable living uh, in the trades. And there still seems to be, you know, this difficulty or this stigma associated at the educational level with, you know, um, pushing kids towards those careers. I think there's a real crisis in the United States regarding technical education across the board. Whether it's just STEM, it's actually teaching kids from the earliest, uh, their earliest schooling so that there's a higher comfort level with math and science than there is today. Uh, too many of our schools actually allow students to opt out, I think at, a, at too young an age, of taking more advanced mathematics, especially. So we're, we're losing in that category when you look around the world. Um, I, I was a German major, and I was always sort of fascinated by the German system, 
where they they have uh, they identify skills of young people at a much younger age and expose kids to what their skill can do for them in the real world and help them to encourage them to develop the things that they're really good at and move into whatever the profession is that seems to be most suited to them. We don't do that here. Right. We kind of let kids have a good time, learn the basics, hopefully, uh, reading, writing, math, science, but a lot of our school districts don't even do that, but I'm just assuming that the, the good ones are allowing them to learn, but it's an academic track, and so it really doesn't show them or guide them uh, at all uh, into the kinds of, of higher ed or technical ed that match their skills and interests. Uh, they do it organically, or some parents may help guide them, but the schools don't do it. And I think that the schools need to expose students to things that are practical and helpful to them in their living, you know, for their living when they get out of school. So one of the ones that I think obviously for years has been um, not attended to uh, appropriately is our vocational technical schools. So they're affiliated with school districts. They are public. They do not cost parents tuition. They have not, though, consistently across the state been um, updating to make sure that the skills that are being taught are the skills that are needed in today's economy. Hugely important. Um, And this is just, you know, K through 12 that I'm talking about here. Uh, those votex, unfortunately, have been utilized by some districts to place some students who may have special needs or more of as, as a dumping area for kids where they're not really sure where to send them, but the, the kids that don't have the skills to do the technical jobs that we need in our economy today. Okay, so so let's let's make sure that first kids with special needs are in a program that's helpful to them, and also that kids who may have an outstanding skill or interest, or they're working with their hands, or they're good at math, they're good at science, they're interested in mechanics, they're interested in building, they're interested in things that they could make a living very well without going to a four-year college costing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and being in debt, um, which, which is not a logical thing to do. Right. Our education system should certainly be honest with parents. And I don't believe at this point in time that it is. And I think that the, the state is paying for some education that isn't productive, isn't, isn't helpful. And we, we actually have kids graduating from schools who don't have the basic skills. So across the board, our education system needs an overhaul. So, you know, obviously those are, those are longer-term issues to tackle. Right. Um, but we still have this in the short term. We still have this, you know, unemployment issue to deal with. Right. So... Um, Along those lines, I mean, that's obviously another major cost for most small business owners is their unemployment compensation. Is that is the state system as it exists today, unemployment-wise, is it working? Does it need fixed? It's too expensive. Okay. Uh, so um, I, when I first actually became a senator, Governor Casey was trying to reform it, and there was a small reform done at the time, but there really hasn't been much done since. A um, couple things. One... Um, there's always going to be fraud in systems like that. Uh, we need to root out the fraud. But we also need to figure out the best way um, to adjudicate those cases efficiently. Uh, a lot of times they'll linger, uh, costing the employer and continuing to cost the employer uh, over a long period of time. In addition to the taxes they pay, they're also still paying 
additional money. So, and then their taxes go up when someone who works in their company uses right. the system, those kinds of things. And I, I don't know that that, as a, as a statewide system, that that needs to be the case. Um, if there's no fault or harm caused by the employer, then I'm not really sure why their cost should necessarily uh, increase. If it's going to be a statewide system of, of unemployment insurance, then that's what it should be. Um, so we have, a, we have a lot of issues to deal with when it comes to the cost of that system. But I think first is the streamlining of it and the rooting out the fraud uh, has to happen. The costs aren't, they aren't reasonable, I guess is the best way to put it. And now when we have an economy uh, where we have more people, uh, more jobs going empty than we have people looking, uh, certainly that is a system that can use some overhauling. Because if people are on that, they're on unemployment for extended periods of time, they don't need to be. Uh, so those reviews probably need to happen more often, and people needed to be directed back to employment as soon as possible. And that happens too. We, we saw a lot of people now, because the economy hasn't been encouraging people to go back to work. Stability is really important whether it's the tax situation for an employer so that they know how much money they're going to have to spend so they can know how many people they can hire, but also with the school system, uh, with kids being at home and some parents making the decision to stay home because their kids were schooling at home, that they aren't returning to the workforce because of that lack of stability too. I think state government's responsibility is to provide that across the board so people can make plans, whether they're business people, families, making decisions about whether to go back to a job, um, that needs to be accelerated. I think we've just seen too much languishing during this pandemic. Now that that people are generally back to work, and a lot of the larger uh, employers are now saying, here's our date certain for people actually returning to the office, uh, it's time to jumpstart the economy and jumpstart opportunities for a lot of people who want to work. Just giving them a little bit more stability and giving those employers that financial stability so they know they can hire another person. So another great segue. So we could sit here and talk for hours about the state's response or lack thereof to the pandemic. But now we're at a point where, you know, uh, vaccines seem to be working. Um, There seems to be a general um, uh, relaxation of people's anxieties and fears about about the, uh, the virus. Where should the state be right now versus where they are? Well, I think your definition of the vaccine working, though, is not is going to be a lot lighter than most people's definition of a vaccine working, right? right? right. So a significant proportion of the people who've been hospitalized have been the people who were not vaccinated. Right. But positive tests is another right. story, right? right? So we've had people be ill, uh, especially with the Omicron variant, right? Uh, significant numbers of people who, who were vaccinated, double vaccinated, right. They had their boosters, whatever, and they're still getting sick with Omicron. So the concern, I think, for a lot of people is, okay, I've heard people say, well, I'm done with this. I'm done. Let's just move on. And in a lot of ways, we really should move on. It's a coronavirus. We've dealt with coronaviruses. Yes, this one was particularly virulent and certainly a mystery to medical science when it arrived two years ago, or even more than that now, I guess. The issue for us now is moving forward responding. So what do we do? I don't think the state needs to mandate things. Uh, I think whatever um, issues remain, I think that the state legislature should have and never seemed to get enough um, support from the governor 
to pass that liability uh, protection for employers who do the best they can do with the science that they have. Um, there shouldn't that they, they shouldn't have to be sued. They shouldn't have the fear uh, that they're going to be sued because they're trying to operate their business. And and so the state government, I believe, along with the federal government have been remiss in providing people with real information. There's been more dictates, uh, something that I would think would be more akin to somebody who might have lived in the USSR. You get the dictates and no information. You must do this, but I'm not going to really explain to you why. And those things have frustrated a significant number of people. I, I hear from them everywhere I go during this campaign is that they're tired of it because that's not what this country is. So providing the information to people and allowing People to make their own decisions is where I stand and where I believe is the most effective way for us to move forward out of the pandemic. Uh, because again, the Omicron variant has been, um, even the people who catch it, uh, for mo the most part, uh, not serious, right? We've even seen the FDA kind of wiggle back and forth about what they want to do regarding actually providing vaccines for people who are babies and up to five uh, year olds, and they withdrew it again. So. So these school mandates and all these things, I, I believe that they need to go away. I think the most important thing, though, is for the public to be provided with the information, not, not the information that's selected to make you behave a certain way, but the real information so that they can make intelligent decisions. And public health uh, organizations um, need to regain their credibility by being honest with the public, because I think a lot of them have not been. And... Uh, that's, in a, in a country like this, where people should be free to make their own decisions, that's a real uh, misstep. And it's something that I certainly would work with the Department of Health uh, in Pennsylvania to make sure that the best science that we have on this relatively still new virus is available to people, because then they'll make the best decisions. Not, not wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You not get a vax, don't get a vax. Or what's a vax do? Or is it going to hurt me? Or whatever the statistics are. Because you never, for example, one of the issues I think very early on was, can we get an antibody test? I think I might have had it, some people would say. So can I get an antibody test to know whether I really need to get vaccinated or whatever? And then they weren't available right. because the government wouldn't let you take one. Uh, or every time you took a, a test, it had to be registered with the government so that they knew and they could add you to the list of people who tested positive, even though you didn't even have a sniffle, for example. So those kinds of issues, I think we need to move away from, the secrecy, the control, and just openness and information, and certainly provide opportunities for testing and those sorts of things to people, especially for antibody testing, because it's harder to get. Right. And the federal government's wasting money on providing free tests for people when they don't need them, um, which I think is another, again, it's a, it's a delayed reaction and something that is, um, it's the behemoth of the U.S. government being way behind. So the, the state's own response in terms of its own agencies and employees has had, in, at least in my estimation, an adverse impact on a lot of uh, business owners and, and commerce in general. Um, getting anything done through the state, even today, is very difficult from a timing perspective because of, um, you know, uh, government, state government employees working still from home, not having access to uh, permits and licenses and uh, environmental records and all that kind of stuff. 
So I know when you and I talked offline, you know, we have not only some regulatory overreach mm -hmm. at the state that needs to be remedied, but we have, you know, right now uh, and for the last almost two years, we don't have uh, very good response times from the state on critical business issues. Yeah, to, so, uh, just to, to address the, the issue of um, anybody who invests money in the private sector uh, should be able to depend on efficiency when it comes to an application for a professional license or a permit, uh, whether it's through the Labor and Industry Department or the DEP, so that they can move forward with the investment they've made of their own money in the private sector that needs some kind of approval. That shouldn't they shouldn't have to languish for years or you know even even six eight months it shouldn't have to languish that long. State government should be providing a public service. They are paid by our taxpayer money, and so therefore they should be the people who are responsive and helpful and assist that entity or individual with compliance, not adversarial. We've seen more of an adversarial response. And with the pandemic, not only the adversarial, but also then lack of response. Right. Uh, so Governor Wolf sent everyone home. Um, they are not even all back in their offices at this point. They are telling us that they can access the records that they need in order to make these decisions, but they aren't making them. And in some cases, the personnel on a particular application have changed um, through the pandemic, and there's no consistency, so there's no continuity in the steps to get an approval which delay, 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 uh, has, has caused a lot of people to, in, to basically keep paying interest on whatever their investment is that they can't move forward on until they get a permit. We've actually had, I mean, I've had direct experience here in a couple of circumstances with development projects the bank was financing that had, you know, environmental due diligence requirements. And the environmental professionals are unable for months and months to access the state records. Um, and, you know... As you said, customers paying interest, excessive interest. Materials prices are continuing to increase because of the delay in the project moving forward. Just costs go up all through the, all around, because of lack of responsiveness from a state agency. And I think the issue again, you know, there's obviously there's the public sector and the private right. sector. The private sector people have a um, a motive, a profit motive, right? You right. you need to invest, and it's a risk, and you need to be able to reap. Uh, that reward or that profit to pay your people, to pay your interest, do all the things you need to do to continue that growth. But what happens if that is unleashed or unchained uh, is that people will grow businesses. They'll grow communities. Things that are good will happen. The other side, you have state government where they're guaranteed a paycheck. There is no profit. There is no loss. Um, there is no incentive unless they're managed right. Um, Part of the problem is that I believe they're just not being managed right. Um, the Governor Wolf doesn't appear to have an interest in making sure that the customer service is improved on you know the agency level. I don't care whether it's labor and industry or DEP or whatever uh, staff it is. Uh, but those, those applications not only need to be processed, but there needs to be communication back and forth if there's something that makes them non-compliant the state government agency is responsible for assisting that taxpayer with compliance. And now Tom Ridge, when he was governor, did make this happen. I worked with uh, his administration when I was a state senator, and that was one of his top agenda items, 
was that you'd get your agency service with a smile and a response, whereas uh, that appears to have gone by the wayside. And I would certainly focus on making sure that each agency is, it, is focused more on customer service, responsiveness, timing than they are today. Well, that's a direct, you know, direct reflection, as I said early on in our discussion about what makes Pennsylvania attractive yeah. versus other locations. I mean, right. that's going to be a big consideration for companies relocating to a particular state yeah. is, you know, the ease of the process and the right. ability to navigate the, uh, the compliance requirements and yeah. registration requirements and all those types of things. And there was talk at one time, and I think there was some implementation, both under um, Democrat and Republican administrations in the Department of Community and Economic Development of having like a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. Because the because everyone wins if there's an application uh, or several applications required to get a business to get up and running or grow or to get a new site uh, developed and built or whatever it was. And those that, that view of things is really, um, again, there's no losers there. So I'm not really sure why that view is not one that's been pursued. The last eight years have been pretty tough, and, and the pandemic has made it even worse when it comes to um, not only the actual responsiveness, but we were talking, you mentioned overreach. And I think a lot of people may not understand what we mean by that. So when the legislature passes a law, for example, in the Corbett administration, when they put all the laws in place for what needed to happen with fracking and fracking water, that sort of thing, those were put in, in law. And then there are regulations which aid the executive with execution. So that department would have a list of rules that it would basically promulgate and they would have to be approved to execute on the law. Well, what's happened is that we see more than the law really allows as far as the regulatory burden. And so when you have more than the law allows, then it really is up to, the executive sort of has a lot of freedom there. The executive needs to re-examine the law, make sure that there's compliance with the law. There should be a challenge from the attorney general when there's over yeah. when there's that kind of overreach. But our current, current attorney general has not questioned anything that this administration has done. Uh, and now that he's running for governor, um, who knows what he would be like? Because those issues are ones that the attorney, attorney general should have been responsible for challenging when they were occurring. But again, they weren't. Um, so they need to be challenged. And I think the governor. Uh, has a lot of power to take a look at the overregulation and to say, well, you know, this isn't compliant with actually the law. Or the intent from the legislature. Right, yeah. and and to basically scale back some of the regs. Some of the burden is just, it's just heavier. I'm not suggesting that we remove all environmental regulations or anything like that. Yeah. What I'm suggesting is that things be sensible and that they be things that people can actually practically comply with. And that those departments then assist people with their compliance. So in, in general, you'd have a much better environment and a more encouraging environment for people who want to participate in the economy, who want to do developments or who want to explore for energy or who want to even do um, energy projects for alternative use, alternative energy sources. There's a lot of that kind of science that's being developed here and being developed successfully. So we want to make sure we encourage those things as well. But again, if the burden is too heavy, that's not going to happen. Well, a lot of good information. Um, Where can business owners, uh, or how and where can business owners talk to you about these issues and and support 
you and in your run for our next governor? Yes, yeah, so we have a website up and running. It is uh, heart4pa.org. And uh, is that for the number four or F? Oh, it's F O R. Okay. Thank you. H A R T. Okay. F O R P A. Dot O R G. And uh, there are ways to sign up uh, to help. There are ways to ask us questions. Um, we have an email that's team at heartforpa.org. And, you know, everybody on, the, on our team is looking at those daily um, to make sure that we're responding and attending uh, events so that mm-hmm. I can learn more about the, the unique uh, needs and interests of different regions of the state because they are different. Well, looking forward to successful run on your part. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Um, for more information on uh, Inside the Vault and to see our past episodes, you can visit enterprisebankpgh.com or look us up in both audio and video format on all your major podcast platforms as well as YouTube. Thank you for joining us.